Glory to God. Father, our, our, our kids are uh, a treasure to us. Their lives are precious to us, Lord. And uh, our desire is just that they can know you, that they can be uh, equipped in you, that they can be uh, equipped to, to, to walk in this world, to live in this world without being conformed to the world. Lord, our desire is for our kids that they can grow up in this world, not feeding on the life that's of the world, but they can grow up in this world feeding on you and the life you have in, their, in yourself. Thank you, Father, that uh, that's your desire also and that you, you're with us and you're with our kids to help us uh, walk with our kids and to uh, help our kids to uh, walk in your light as they, they walk in this world. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. I didn't want a week in between, but the week in between, I think, was, I mean, it's not that God shut my mouth so my mom could preach, but my mom's message was awesome. So that was great. Um, but I literally couldn't talk last week. Like, I couldn't talk. Like, it was a strange phenomenon. Some people that heard me try to talk were like, dang, dude. I mean, it was so bad. There was a time where I thought, am I going to, like, lose my voice and never be able to talk again? And you, you might start to think, well, that would be very upsetting and frustrating for Greg. Do you know the first thing my mind jumped to? I got to learn sign language. I move my hands around a lot anyway. I already got like this Italian thing going where I'm expressing myself. And so I was just like, well, I'm right on the road. I'll just be sign languaging the gospel and I'll get somebody up here to speak. Hallelujah. And they can make me sound more eloquent than my hands are, are speaking. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I want to I want to. I want to pick back up where I left off the last time I preached talking about kids. Um, I, I think it's important. I mean, it's always important, but I think it's particularly important in today's day and age for us to sit and marinate on some of this stuff. And um, I said a whole lot of stuff the last time, right? And I talk fast. Your intellect cannot keep up with how fast I talk. Neither can it keep up with all the information. You're not really intended to right? What's intended to happen is for you to sit underneath the preaching of the Spirit, and the Spirit will teach you or guide you into some truth each time you listen. So don't feel frustrated if you think you didn't digest it in one sitting. You weren't meant to digest it in one sitting. It's like in America, they don't bring you out a little plate. They bring you out this gigantic plate that there's no way you can digest it in one sitting, and you got to get a box and take it, and then you digest it over the next couple of days. Well, that's how these messages are. So if, if, if you feel like, well, I, I, I didn't grab it, he, he's on too fast, I, I can't grab it all, it's okay. That's normal. The Spirit is inside of you, and you just keep going and listening, and the Spirit will minister things to you. The Spirit will bring up questions. The Spirit will bring up truths, and the Spirit will fill this out for you, right? But I want to keep talking about this because I think it's important for all of us to know how we can be of help to our children as we walk in this world, right? And I don't want to say we're at a disadvantage, because we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can never leave you at a disadvantage. But what I want to say is, in the body of Christ, I think that there's been a poverty in our understanding of the gospel. And I think it's left ministers and leaders in the body of Christ for a long time now, not really equipping the people with how to raise their children up in the truth, so their children can be kept from the wisdom of the world. right? And so I think that there's like a shortage of people that even know how to raise their kids in the world. Right? I think there's a complete lack of understanding of what it even looks like for us to be raised up in the world. Right? I mean, because we're little children. Unless you become as little children, you won't experience the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Right? So it's important to know how we can be of help to our kids as they live in the world. Right? I think we all want that. The Apostle Paul says something profound. He says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. What that means is, is our life has not come forth from the world or the things of the world or the happenings of the world or the wisdom of the world because our life has come from above, right? And, you know, the, the world is a kind of a father, so to speak. If you allow me this example, the world has a life in itself that it can bring forth in others, right? There's a, there's a life that's come forth from this world. And that life can be reproduced in other people, right? And so the world is like a father, and it can bring forth a life in, in people. It can bring forth its life in other people. So when, when Paul talks about being of the world, 
To be of the world means for your life to be born from the world or brought forth by the world, right? It means the life you are experiencing is begotten by the world and the things of the world and the wisdom of the world. That's what it would mean to be of the world. Does that make sense, guys? Like God has brought forth our life in himself, in his indestructible life. So my life has been begotten from God in his indestructible life. The life that I'm experiencing has been born from his incorruptible life, his eternal life, his indestructible life that there's no lack, that there's no coming behind in. My life has been begotten from that, right? Well, if your life has been begotten from the world, that means your life has been brought forth upon the shoulders of a corruptible life, a perishable life, a life that's filled with lack, a life that's filled filled with torment, a life that's filled with peace, a life that's filled with stress and all those different kinds of things, right? Now, all of us know this, but Satan is called the prince of the world. And so that means this world was, yes, Satan needed Adam to found this world, but the world Adam found it was built upon the shoulders of Satan's wisdom in the life that and the life that came forth in him from his wisdom. So Satan's called the prince of the world. And in Ezekiel, you know, it can help us to understand how the world functions, right? Because we can be wise as serpents. That doesn't mean we are the serpents or we adopt the serpent's wisdom, but we can understand what it is. Do you see what I'm saying? So we can spot it from like a mile away. So we're not deceived by the devices of the serpent. And we can explain to our kids so our kids also aren't deceived by the prince of this world. So they have ears to discern the voice of the stranger and the difference between the voice of the stranger and the voice of the good shepherd, right? So Ezekiel tells us a whole lot about Satan and the wisdom that this world was built on or the life that was brought forth in this world by his wisdom. Now, Ezekiel describes Satan as a beautiful tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden, right? You guys remember the tree? God said, don't eat from that tree. A couple verses after it says that all the trees were good, then all of a sudden, a couple, don't eat from that tree. It describes Satan as, a, as the most beautiful tree in the midst of the garden. And then what it says about Satan is that it, he, he rejected the river from which he was made glorious. And it says he corrupted his wisdom and that he said in his heart, I will be exalted to life and glory and honor by the multitude of the merchandise I can gather to myself. Look at the beauty in my branches. Look how strong they are. Look how glorious they are. I am going to put my branches to work and I'm going to exalt myself unto life by the multitude of what I can gather to myself, right? So in Satan's mind, to be exalted unto life could look like uh, being the God of this world and the God of mankind. And so what would he do? He would put his self, his, his strength, his ability to work to try to make himself the God of this world, to try to make himself the God of mankind. Because he decided that in that, that would be able to exalt him to his rightful place. Right? You guys tracking with that? That's why it says he was lifted up in his heart. To be lifted up in your heart doesn't mean to think highly of your ability to play football or your ability to play basketball. Maybe, you know, they got spelling bees. Maybe you're the greatest speller that ever was. And maybe you'd be like, I'm the greatest speller that ever was. That's not what it means to be lifted up in your heart. To be lifted up in your heart means for your heart to say to itself that I will fashion myself in an image. I will fashion my life in an image that's so beautiful that when I look at it, it will serve me with satisfaction. It will serve me with peace and love and joy. My life, I will fashion myself in such a beautiful image that that image will gather unto me attention, acceptance, love, joy, satisfaction, all those things. That's what it means to be lifted up in your heart. That's the wisdom in the world, right? And so the wisdom of the world says you can be exalted to life 
by conforming yourself and your life into the proper image. The world's wisdom says you can be exalted to life by looking to your ability to make things straight. What you say is straight. Let me just give you a, a, a hint. What you think is straight might not be straight to God. <laughs> what you think is straight, what you think is crooked and needs to be made straight, God might not see it that way, right? You ought to talk to God about that to begin with. But the world's wisdom says you can be exalted to life by looking to your ability to gather acceptance and love and attention and joy and peace and respect and honor to yourself. You deserve to be respected. That's what will first come and say to you. You deserve to be respected. Well, this is the image of what will gather respect to you. Use your ability and create yourself in that image, and now you will gather the respect you know you should have through that. I mean, Satan didn't feel respected. I mean, after all, the angels were made before the humans. And so now Satan's going to be a ministering servant to us. And we're going to be seated at the right hand of God. We're going to be in the Godhead, co-heirs with God himself. We're going to reign with God. And so Satan felt like he didn't have the respect he was due. These guys are naked. They don't even know they're naked. I'm going to serve them. Look at the glory I'm clothed in. And these naked dudes I'm going to serve? Come on, man. I will gather unto myself the respect I deserve. I will create myself in the image. I will exalt myself above the stars of heaven. Man. That's the wisdom of the world. That we can be exalted to a place of glory and honor, beauty, that we can gather acceptance, attention, joy, peace, love. We can gather those things to ourselves if we'll use our ability and fashion ourselves in this certain image. That's what it says, right? It says that you're both the potter and the clay. You heard that before? I mean, it's really sad in the body of Christ right now. You've got people that have left the grace message that are so confused in their own thinking. They're all off into quantum physics now. And what they don't even realize is they're busy with the, the, the wisdom of the serpent, talking about how you can create your own life. No, you can't. God's the only one who has life in himself. You ain't the potter in the clay. you the clay, and God's the potter. And God's the only one that can fashion you in the image of glory and honor. He's the only one that can fashion you in an image that will actually satisfy the longing you have in your heart. He's the only one that can create you in the image of Christ Jesus. I don't care how much you manipulate your design as the image of God to try to produce that which you say is good. Whatever you can produce by manipulating your imagination and your mind and your heart to try to produce the good things in the world that you say you need, none of that can create you in the image of Christ Jesus. And it's heresy, it's the serpent's wisdom, it's devilish, it's carnal, it's from below. It sounds like how the devil would talk. Use your ability, use your design. Aren't you the children of God? Bring forth these things. <laughs> now we got a people sitting around in the name of the Lord trying to imagine the good things they want from the world thinking that that's the power to having them. Well, let's say you do bring forth all the good things in the world that you want from your imagination. What do you think you got then? It's dumb. The wisdom of the world says you are both the potter and the clay, and you could fashion yourself and your life in an image that is so beautiful it will gather the acceptance and attention and the love and the satisfaction and the joy you crave. Listen, there's one thing that's true about all this. You can do whatever you want. You're free to pursue whatever passion or desire is burning in your bones. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't think that can create you in the image of glory that you're after. Because it can't. Right? When I was a little boy, I could run long distances really fast. 
I mean like little. I mean, I was seven years old running a 5K with my dad who was a, a trained runner his whole life. I mean, he competed running his whole life. He was competing in like the corporate classic for Chevron and they're winning every year. And we went and ran this 5K, 3.1 miles. And I was like seven or eight years old. And you know, I didn't try and keep up with him at the beginning, but I ended up catching up to him at the end. And he looked over at me like, Whoa, how is he there? Now listen, I didn't stay with him because he's got a kick and I'm a little bitty kid. I basically died and suffered just to catch him, right? So in the last quarter mile, he kicks and you know, he, he, he gets a, some distance between me. But I had this ability to suffer long, to run fast, long and suffer as a little bitty kid, right? And I didn't think anything of that at first. I just thought, isn't it wonderful? This is fun. I love this feeling, hallelujah. But it started to get me attention. You see, it started to get me a lot of attention. People started to take notice of me in a different way than they were taking notice of other people, right? They started to treat me like I was special. Newspapers were coming. And don't get, I was special, but it ain't because of the running, you see? I was special because God called me by name, because he knew me in my mother's womb. That's why I was special, right? And so the newspapers want to come. College coaches want to come watch me run. I'm in like fourth grade. They're giving me scholarships to Holy Cross and stuff. Just come run. I began to notice the attention. Do you know what? It's nice to be seen by people. And that's why the wisdom of the world can be so deceiving. Because we all desire to be seen. We do. We want someone to see us. And it doesn't feel nice when we think no one does see us. We start feeling lonely, we start feeling bitter, we start feeling upset. Listen, man, one of the names of God is El Roy, the God who sees you. You are seen. And you don't need the world to notice you to be seen. And neither can the world actually see you. It can promise you that it will see you if you fashion yourself in this image. Right? Listen, it was nice to be seen by people. It felt nice to be celebrated by people. I'm talking about when I was a little kid. But what happened was I started to believe that the power to be exalted unto life was in my ability to run. You see? Because I don't know if you guys have all felt this. Did, did any of you grow up thinking you were meant for something beautiful? That there's something beautiful in you? That if it could just get out, there's greatness in there? Oh, yeah, we all grew up like that. That's right, because we come from God. <laughs> See, I started thinking that my ability to run was going to satisfy that longing in me. That this is the greatness. This is the thing that I knew that I was meant for. This can get, satisfy all the things I have inside myself. I started to believe that. I started to believe the glorious life I desired was found in my ability to conform myself into the image of a world-class runner. After all, look at this great ability I have. I even lamented for years about re living in regret, thinking I wasted my opportunity to be created in the image of glory and honor because I decided to get high instead. That's all the wisdom of the world. There's nothing wrong with running races. There's nothing wrong with being very good at something. There's nothing wrong with enjoying being good at something. There's nothing wrong with enjoying winning. Although I've had this philosophical conversation, Bob, you appreciate. I know you enjoy philosophical conversations. Somebody asked me once, will we even play sports in heaven? Because can there be a winner and a loser? And I thought, that's an interesting thought. I think the real thought is, will we keep score when we're not concerned with whether we win or lose? <laughs> Right? It'll be interesting what our conscience will be like, right? Will we even feel this need to keep score? Or will we just be happy that the ball goes that far? And look how he caught it. Look how he laid out. Dang. Look how he jumped off the back of that guy and the head of that guy and he caught it. <laughs> we'll just be happy about that, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But man, it crosses over into the wisdom of the world and a very destructive force in the lives of our children 
when they believe the power into a glorious life and satisfaction is found in them fashioning themselves in their life into a certain image. Where they start with a cookie. You know you have those cookie cutters and you press into the cookies and it reproduces? They start with like a cookie cutter image and their heart decides, oh, that's the right image. If I can fashion myself in that image, then I can find satisfaction. Then I can gather acceptance and love and joy and peace and attention to myself. Then I can be seen. Why do you want attention? You, you don't, you, it's not that you want attention because you're a bad person. You want attention because you were created to know and be known. You were created to be seen. And the only thing that can satisfy your desire to be seen is for you to see God's eyes see you. To the degree that when he saw you suffering at the hands of death, even though you walked out of the way and you brought that death to yourself, it hurt him so bad that my man came and entered into your death himself and took your death into himself rather than let you die. That's how much he sees you. That's how much he cares about your suffering. That's how much he pays attention to your life. We need to understand these things about our children. They desire attention. They desire to be seen. They desire acceptance. The, you can't tell them, well, you shouldn't care about that. And think that's going to work. You can tell them that. And that's a part of a truth. But that's not the power into them not being lured in by trying to find those things satisfied in the world. You need to tell them what it is that can actually satisfy. And they need to be taught to feed on that as they grow up in this world. Because feeding on that life that can satisfy all their desires is what will keep them from being made conformed to the image in the world. It's what will keep them from trying to fashion themselves after the image of glory and honor. Listen, there's no shame for any of us. But I promise you, in the body of Christ, predominantly... We've been left in the place where we know more about the life that's of this world than we do the life from above. That's a problem. That leaves people not equipped to live in this world and not be conformed to this world. We don't want our kids growing up thinking they live and move and have their being in the world and the things of the world and the happenings of the world. We don't want them growing up like that. That's how we grew up. And we're like being detoxed. We're like in rehab because of all the pain that came to us being taught a gospel that taught us to find the, our life in the things of the world. We don't want our kids to know more about the life that's of the world than the life of God himself. We don't want our kids growing up thinking their life is hid in the world. That the acceptance they crave is in the world. That the attention they, not, they need is found in the world. Listen, it's great for your parents to see you. I had great parents that saw me. You can ask them whether or not them seeing me kept me from destruction. It didn't. So as much as they saw me, as much as they loved me, their attention, their acceptance can't satisfy what's in my heart because they're not God. So we can give them those things. And we do give them those things. And glory to God for that, because we want to love our kids and our grandkids. But your love isn't what can satisfy them in this world. And it's not what can keep them. It's only the love of the Father. So in your love for them, teach them about the one love that can satisfy. That's our heritage. It's the life of God himself. If you were a gazillionaire and your kids were set to inherit the, the gazillions that you owned, and there was trust that were set up. You'd be teaching your kids about their heritage, about their inheritance, so they could claim it. Our heritage is God himself. Our heritage is his incorruptible life. We ought to be raising our kids to know their inheritance. We can certainly teach our kids how to navigate the world. We don't, I'm not saying don't teach them how to navigate the world. You could teach them how to navigate the world. But we want to teach them that the life, that their life and the life they long for is not of the world. We want to raise our kids in the world, but we want to raise them feeding on the life of God. The life that's in the glorified man, Jesus. Because it's the life God has in himself that sets the habitations of our movements, whether we realize it or not. 
the world can never father inside of you that which you're seeking. Do you know why? Because the world doesn't have an indestructible life. And do you know the habitations that have been set for us? What's been set for us is a knowing that we were made for an indestructible life, a righteous life, a just life, a beautiful life. That's what we want. The world can't ever give us that. Right? Everyone is set apart unto wanting a righteous life, whether they believe in God or not. Why do you think people fighting over climate change? I mean, there's a whole lot of climate change activists. Do you know why they're fighting? Because they think a righteous life is found in this climate change nonsense. And I say it's nonsense because man can't heal the world. And I say it's nonsense because imagine a creature that didn't make this world thinking they understand how to heal this world. Imagine the insanity of that, that they even get to that place where they can even think that. I just got to be honest, man, a prerequisite for me, if you're going to come and explain to me how you know how to heal the world, you better show me how you're the one who created it. And if you can't show me that you're the one that created it, then whatever you got to say is nonsense. You're just another clown pontificating. Sorry, I mean, I'm just being honest. I know, I don't win any friends. I'm not trying to win any friends, though. I'm trying for people to, be, people to be set free from the wisdom of the world. And if you have to hate me in the process, well, glory to God. And I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So, guys, listen, we, we, we don't want our kids to go out into the world thinking a righteous life is found in the world and the things of the world. We don't want them thinking that. And we don't want just to tell them that's not where it's found. We want them to know exactly where it's found. We don't want our kids to go out into the world thinking a righteous life is found in the strength of the flesh. We want them to go out into the world discerning that the substance of what their hearts desire is found in the glorified man Jesus and the faith that was revealed in him. That's how we want them going out into the world. Oh, that thing I feel in my heart, that emptiness that I feel, oh, there's the substance of what what I'm longing for. You see how they understand themselves now? You see how they understand why they can feel lack and what it is that causes them to feel lack? You see when you teach them about the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross, the faith that brought forth this glorious life that my man Jesus came out of the grave with, you see how that faith can persuade a person that they have the glorious life they desire even though they haven't yet seen it fully manifest. Jesus is the substance of everything you've ever longed for. He's the evidence that even though you don't see it yet, you have it. That's what we need to be teaching our kids so that they're feeding on the life that is seen in Jesus, so that they're living by faith, so that they're living in this world beholding the faith of Jesus Christ, so that every time they feel lack, every time the world comes and says, if you could just fashion yourself according to this image, you could gain the attention and the acceptance and the love and the honor and the glory you desire. Well, they could see Jesus and they could see, no, that's the image that I'm actually desiring. That's the substance that I'm longing for. That's the image I want to be fashioned according to. And none of that can do that for me. Then they refuse the evil. I know I'm yelling. I'm sorry. And I apologize mostly to my voice. Because my voice is like, dude, what are you doing, man? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I sped through this last time, and I want to slow down a little bit. One of the reasons it's difficult for us to teach our kids is because we haven't been taught. And so we're kind of, like I said, we're at a disadvantage. We're not here to blame anyone. The whole body of Christ has been there, all of us. So we don't need to point the finger. We don't need to feel ashamed. Well, don't say it was me. It wasn't me. It was them. Who cares? Let's just all come together collectively and say, let us be taught of the Lord. Right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We've been taught so much about the life that's of the world 
when we read those verses, we think the good and perfect will of God is talking about something we're going to do in this world, either for him or other people. That ain't got nothing to do with what he's talking about. <laughs> do you see how we equated something that was eternal into the constructs of this world? And not realizing it, bringing forth a life that's been begotten by this world in the process, all in the name of the Lord and something good, because ministry's good after all. Serving's good after all. But that ain't what he's talking about here. Right? I mean, all of us have had, why am I here? What's my purpose? What does it do to a human being when they don't know why they're here or what their purpose is? Do they have a good go of it? No. What do we say? Oh, they're lost. <laughs> they're wandering about. They don't know their purpose. They even, we even got people, Christian people, that have what good intentions, right, in books called The Purpose Driven Life. Because they can recognize you need to understand the perfect will of God for your life, but then they relegate it to the constructs of a perishable world and a perishable life. However you want to describe the perfect will of God, it's got to be eternal. Listen, man, I know I'm in this world right now and I'm preaching the gospel. I'm going to be preaching in the new heaven and the new earth. So the perfect will of God is not for me to be a preacher. Now that might be something I'm doing having seen the perfect will of God. But this is the perfect will of God. Just so you know, this is why your kids are here. This is why you were here. You could do a lot of other things, but this is why you were born in this world. This is your purpose. This is God's will for your life. God's will is for you to be fashioned according to the likeness of what is seen in the glorified man, Jesus. That's his perfect will. That's his perfect will for your life. God wants to bring forth his indestructible life in you. That's what he dreamt for you from the beginning. You have to understand, God's will for man existed before there was ever sin and death. And so if Adam hadn't eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was never death that entered the world, do you think we would have to preach the gospel? What was God's will for Adam? Was it for Adam to go have a ministry? Or was it for Adam to be fashioned and created in the likeness of God's immortality? Isn't that what God wanted? Isn't that why he warned him not to eat from the tree that could kill him? Because his will was that he would live and not die, right? The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says it this way when he talks about God's perfect will, that God predestined us in Christ, he says. That means his idea about your destiny is that you would be in Christ, that you would be created in the image of Christ Jesus and what was seen when he was raised from the dead and glorified immortal flesh. So when we're talking about our kids, God has predestined your kids for the glory of his life. That's what he's predestined your kids for. He's predestined your kids to be fashioned in his image after the likeness of his incorruptible life. That's the thing God has in his heart for your children. That's what's been in his heart from the beginning. To fashion them according to what we see in the glorified, resurrected Jesus, so that they can be with him for all eternity, experiencing his love. That's the perfect will of God. You know, the only way that can happen to you is if you present yourself a living sacrifice. Do you know what it means to present yourself a living sacrifice? Father, into your hands, I commit my desire to be fashioned in the likeness of glory and immortality. That's what it means to present yourself a living sacrifice. I'm alive but I'm not going to enlist my own members to fashion myself in the image of glory and honor. I'm going to commit my desire to be fashioned in the image of glory and honor into your hands, God. The perfect will of God was seen in Jesus. How was it seen in Jesus? Jesus presented himself a living sacrifice. What does that mean? On the cross, Jesus desired to be formed in the fashion of a glorified immortal flesh. He didn't look to his own strength to do that, but rather he committed his desire into the hands of the Father Abba, into your hands I commit my life. He was a living sacrifice, and it proved out the perfect will of God for his life when he was raised from the dead. You see that? So our kids have the same desire God has. God predestined us for glory and honor. Our kids are desiring glory and honor. They're also desiring their lives to be fashioned in an image that's glorious. They're also wanting that. And so what happens, guys, is the world presents our kids with an image of what a glorious life looks like. The world comes and presents something to them and tells them that thing you're longing for in your heart, that desire you have, that knowing that you're meant for greatness, that knowing that you're meant for something transformative, 
that there's something beautiful in you, it comes and tells them this is what that life that is full of beauty and glory and honor, this is what it looks like. And then it tells them if you can just use your ability to create yourself in this image, that's how you can gather the acceptance and the attention and the love to yourself. That's how you can find peace and rest for your soul. Because until you find your desire satisfied by beholding that which you're longing for in the glorified man, Jesus, there will be unrest in your soul. Because you'll be empty, wanting something. You won't know what it is. You won't find your desire satisfied because you won't have seen the substance of what you're desiring in the glorified man, Jesus. And thus, you're always looking for peace and rest for your soul. And so our kids are wandering around looking for peace and rest for their souls. And if we don't come and present them with the substance of what they're desiring in the glorified body of Jesus Christ, I promise you the world is coming to them to present them with an image and to tell them this is the image that can give you peace and rest in your soul. If you'll just use your ability, look how great your ability is. You can create yourself in any image. What does the world say today? You can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be a cat, you can be a dog, you can be anything. And we say that if we can create ourselves in those images, that will give us the attention, the acceptance, the love. That's what will cause us to be seen as special. People will see me if I can be a cat. That's the world trying to father its life in people. A life of laboring and toiling where you're all the time trying to fashion yourself in the image of glory and honor. Can't satisfy. We see the substance. That's why it says faith, that word's a noun, meaning Jesus is the substance of things we've always wanted. This is what we want. It's not a secret. We know what it is now. We've been... Detox from uh, corrupt theology, so we ought to know now. Paul says we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of the mind, listen, Paul says the way we're kept from being conformed to the world is by the renewal of our mind. What is this renewal of the mind? Is this like some crazy thing that we're all the time trying to sort out every little detail and get every little detail renewed? Well, I promise you, you can find all your thinking renewed, but it's a much simpler thing Paul's talking about when he says that we won't be conformed to the world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What he's talking about when he talks about the renewal of your mind, he's talking about for you to see the image of the glory and honor you desire in the glorified man, Jesus. And your mind becomes renewed from thinking you can find glory and honor in the things of this world because all of a sudden your mind's seeing the glory and honor you were always after right there. And so your mind's been renewed. You're no longer thinking that the glory and honor you want is found in being a world-class runner or winning the Olympics or breaking world records because your mind's been renewed from thinking that can give you the satisfaction you want because you'll be held with the substance of everything you've always been after in the glorified man Jesus. Now your mind's been renewed from thinking life is found in this image till you see the image, the only image where life is found. Your mind's been renewed. That itself will keep you from the evil in the world. Just knowing. No, 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 that's, that's it. Paul had a renewal of the mind. And his life was completely transformed. And the renewal of Paul's mind happened when he encountered the glorified man Jesus on the road to Damascus. Because Paul's life was born from the world. The world was the father of his life. And Paul thought, if I can fashion myself according to this image, if I can have an identity of a Hebrew of the Hebrews, if I can have an identity of a Jewish guy, if I can find the righteousness that comes from the works of my own hands, then that will give me a glorious life. That I can become the high priest, and then I can be seen, and then I can have attention and acceptance and justification. But then Paul saw Jesus and immediately his mind was renewed because he's like this dude has got God himself in his body this dude that was dead on a tree is now glorified with immortality immediately Paul's mind was renewed from thinking he needed to be circumcised the eighth day he needed to perform the works of the law he needed to be of the tribe of immediately his mind was renewed from thinking that was the power into a glorious life to seeing that's the only glorious life that's what I've actually always been after even when I was doing all this nonsense his mind became renewed and then he became a living sacrifice do you know why? Because he saw, he didn't just see that's what I'm after. He started thinking, how did this guy get that? That's the image I want to be created in, what I see in that dude. How did he get created in that image? How was his body fashioned that way? 
okay, let me see. Well, when that guy was nailed to a cross and his hands were nailed to a tree and he couldn't do one good thing, all he did was cry out to God and commit his desire for life into the hands of the Father. So that guy was a living sacrifice, and I see that's how he inherited this glorious life that I've always been after. So now I'm going to do the same thing. And in me now committing my desire to be created in the image of Christ Jesus, of what I see in Christ Jesus, into the hands of the Father, I'm going to find the perfect will God has for my life and my desire satisfied. And even as I walk in this world, living by this faith, knowing that that's the substance of what I want, this faith will also give me the evidence that even though my body hasn't been glorified yet, I have the glorious life now that I've always wanted. Here comes satisfaction. I mean, I love the guy from the Rolling Stones. What did he say about getting satisfaction? Now, is there anything in the world this guy couldn't grab to himself? I mean, the guy's like an 80-year-old guy. Well, if I can get me a 19-year-old woman, that'll do it, certainly. Did I do it? No. <laughs> can't get a lot more than that guy got in the world. And you see the voice of the world? I can't find satisfaction. Right? You see, the thing... The, the world and the things of the world, it can't fashion you in the image of what is seen in Christ Jesus. That's what you're wanting. And nothing here can do that. The power to be fashioned according to the likeness of, of God, God's glory and honor isn't found in the different identities of which Paul thought one of the identities that could fashion him in the image of glory is if he was a Jew and not a Gentile. That's an identity. That's after the flesh. He had a renewal of the mind. He saw that no identity he could have in the flesh could ever create him in the image of the glory he was desiring. Right? You see a bunch of people in the world right now wrapped up in an identity that's contained in the flesh. Why are they wrapped up in that? They know they were created for glory and honor. And they think that glory and honor can be found in the strength of the flesh. And so they're, they're not trying to be bad people. They're after glory and honor. All of us are after glory and honor. The only difference between them and us is we see the substance of the glory and honor is contained in Jesus. And we no longer know Jesus after the flesh. We know he didn't inherit that because he was a Jewish guy. So it can't be according to race. It can't be according to the color of your skin. It's got to be according to something completely different where there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. None of those things matter when it comes to inheriting a glorious life. What matters is the glorification of your flesh. And only what you see in Jesus can give you that, that faith that was in him when he was nailed to a cross. That's what we teach our kids. That's how you find divisions going away, actually. Knowing yourself according to the flesh is what creates division. So when you see all that, when you see that you're God's workmanship, Paul said we're God's workmanship. He goes on to say what the workmanship is, that God has come to create us in the image of Christ Jesus. Go read Ephesians 2. It says you're God's workmanship, and he come to create you in the image of Christ Jesus. That's glorified Jesus. So once you see this is the substance of what you've been desiring, then you start thinking, well, how did he get that? Now all of a sudden you start to see, oh, that dude was on the cross. Oh, that dude looked to the Father. He didn't look to the world or the world around him, that dude on the cross didn't try to fashion himself in any kind of an image. That dude, when he wanted to be fashioned in the image of glory and honor, he called upon the name of the Father. Now, when you realize that, you're now presenting yourself a living sacrifice. You're committing your desire to be fashioned in the image of glory and honor into the hands of God. Right? <clears throat> To be a living sacrifice, for people that like to write definitions. I try and talk fast enough to where no one can write. Some people still try. So if you, some of you were writers, and you're like, I can't write with this. That's by design. I come to frustrate you thinking that you can follow me with your pen and thus find life. It's okay if you write. I'm not trying to, it's not a sin to write. I'm just being funny. Please understand. To be a living sacrifice 
is to commit your desire for your body and your life to be fashioned after the glory and honor into the hands of God and his workmanship instead of looking to the strength in your own hands. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice, right? That's what it is. You might perform some ministry. You, I guess you could say I'm performing some ministry. This is not what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's not talking about some ministry you can have. It's talking about how you're going to find your body, your flesh, and your life fashioned in the image of what is seen in Christ Jesus. Wasn't he a sacrifice? Well, here I am alive, and I'm going to be a sacrifice. How am I going to do that? Well, how did Jesus even become a sacrifice? He didn't try to fashion himself in the image of glory and honor. He committed his desire to be fashioned in the image of glory and honor into the hands of God. You see that? Does that make sense? And we'll finish with this. You can actually learn a lot about how to equip your children by looking at Jesus. I know we struggle with this because Jesus is God. We, we all say Jesus is fully God and fully man. But then when you actually talk about what it means for Jesus to also be fully man, people get very upset. I mean, I made a simple statement about Jesus having to uh, be strengthened or taught or learned to refuse the evil. And you should see all the people that come without even looking at the scriptures or even thinking about it, coming and saying, no, he's not, he's God. He's without sin. And then I come and post the verses that say the exact thing that I said in the post. And then crickets. So you can actually, Jesus was raised in this world. Jesus was born of a woman as a little baby. And he grew up in the world that's surrounded by death and the wisdom of the world. And so you could actually learn a lot about how to equip your children by asking yourself and asking the Father to show you how was Jesus equipped. And this isn't about your child trying to live some perfect life in the sense of religion. This is about your child not being confused by the wisdom in the world as they grow up, right? That's what it's about. So Jesus was born of a woman. He was born in blood with a perishable body, a body that could feel weakness, a body that could feel desire, a body that could feel like it could lack. He could feel the feeling of lack. He could feel the feeling of weakness, which means he could hear the voice if you just fashion yourself like this. And so what is it that kept Jesus from taking on that belief? What is it that kept Jesus' life from being brought forth by the world and the wisdom of the world? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It says he increased. That means it increased. And this is, this is the part we're going to focus on. This is what Isaiah says about Jesus. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. And this is where it specifically speaks of how Jesus received strength to refuse the wisdom of the world. It tells you specifically how he did it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the part about Jesus being equipped. Butter and honey will this child eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. This is talking about Jesus being born into the world and him feeding. It says Jesus will be kept. He was kept from the evil in the world. He was kept from walking out of the way. He was kept from being conformed to the wisdom of the world by feeding on butter and honey. Now, do you guys think that means like the butter I buttered my bread with this morning? No. What about the honey? You think the honey's talking about like the beehives we got? I mean, it uses honey because honey is sweet like a nectar. Right? So how did eating butter and honey, what has that got to do with Jesus knowing are being kept from the evil in the world, which is what we want for our kids. And just to rehash, to be kept from the evil means for them to be kept from the wisdom of the world that seduces them into thinking they can fashion their own life into the image of glory and honor. What kept, how does honey and butter keep Jesus from that? 
I'm not going to get off into a bunch of explanations. You, if you want to go search it out, I'll give you the other references. But butter in this instance speaks of abundance. It speaks of having an abundant life. If you read Job chapter 29, verse 6, Job talks about his path or his walk or his steps being kept straight by butter. What he's talking about is abundance. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Right? So when it talks about Jesus being taught or knowing to refuse evil by butter, what it's saying is, is that an abundant life kept Jesus or caused Jesus to refuse the evil. Now, what about the honey? The honey is, is interesting. Now, where does the abundant life come from? We know the abundant life comes from the Father, right? And so what it's saying is that Jesus knew to refuse evil on account of the abundance of the life that was in the Father. The abundance of that life that was in the Father, it caused Jesus to refuse the evil, right? Now, the honey. Honey is interesting. Psalm 81, verse 16 says, he should have, Psalm 81, 16 he should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. That's why I love that song. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go, I don't have to worry now that I know everything I need Who's got? The honey, he says, will satisfy you. The honey is what will satisfy the longing in your kids. Deuteronomy 32, you can go read the whole chapter. Deuteronomy 32, and we all know this. It says you've forgotten the rock from which you were hewn, speaking of God, God the rock. Deuteronomy 32 describes God as the rock. And if you keep reading in Deuteronomy 32, you know it's called the land flowing with milk and honey, abundance, an abundant life. So Deuteronomy 32 describes God as the rock, and it talks about Israel being made to suck honey out of the rock. Honey out of the rock. So God's the rock. The honey from the rock is talking about the life God has in himself. Ezekiel 16, 31, speaking about the manna from heaven. You know, the manna from heaven was the bread from heaven. It was supposed to be the bread that could feed you with life. It was the bread of life. That's why Jesus said, I am the true manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. Ezekiel 16, 31, listen to how it describes the manna. The manna from heaven was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Honey. Honey is talking about the life that's from above. The life that God has in himself. The life that Jesus says the Father has in himself and the Father has given that I could have that same life in myself. Inside of me is a life that's full of honey, a sweet nectar that will satisfy the desire in your heart, that will satisfy the longing in your heart. So when it says that Jesus was strengthened to refuse the evil, the reason why he was strengthened to refuse the evil is because he was raised feeding on the life that's in heaven. He was raised feeding on the honey that was from above. Jesus grew up feeding on the honey from the rock. Jesus grew up feeding on the life that is in the Father. He grew up seeing that within the Father is the substance or the food that can satisfy this hunger I have for life, for my body to have long life, for my flesh to be healed from this death. And because he fed on that life daily, because he fed on the life that was in the Father daily, that caused him to grow in wisdom and stature. It taught him to be able to discern the counterfeit life. It taught him to be able to discern that the life the world offered was not honey and that it could never satisfy the longing in his heart, that it didn't have the substance of what he was actually longing for, and that it was a counterfeit life. It was a false promise. It came speaking great swelling words of vanity. It came promising me satisfaction. It came telling me I could find the attention and the acceptance and the love I'm longing for, but it was a deadbeat dad. It could never satisfy those things in my life. It could never father those things in me. Jesus knew that. The life from above strengthened Jesus to refuse the counterfeit the world offered. It taught him to deny ungodliness. Denying ungodliness isn't that you see stealing is bad and then you decide you won't steal. That's not denying ungodliness. Ungodliness is to think that you can fashion yourself in the image of glory and honor. 
You're taught to deny ungodliness by seeing the image of glory and honor you desire is contained in the Father of lights himself. And the only thing that can fashion you in that image is the Father's hand himself. And that teaches you to deny the wisdom that comes and tells you you can create yourself in the image of glory and honor. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not a teaching of intellectualism we're talking about. It's not that God came and told Jesus you must deny what is evil. It's that in him seeing the life, the substance of the life he longed for in the Father, and him knowing that only the Father has that life in himself, that taught him to reject anything else that came and promised it to him. He immediately could discern, nah, bro. Just like Satan come and said to him, use your ability, turn those stones into bread. Jesus says, nah, bro, even should I turn those stones into bread? Man does not find life by bread, but by every word of God. Do you see what he's doing there? What taught him to deny the evil? What taught him not to look to his own strength? He realized that which satisfies is in the Father. It's not in this bread. Even should my body die, even should I keep my body from dying by turning this into bread, that can't satisfy this flesh with long life. He knew. It's like the example, you guys know in the FBI, they have a whole counterfeit department where they, you know, they work against counterfeit money. How much do you guys think they study the counterfeit bills? Zero, actually. They don't look at any of the counterfeit bills. Do you know what they do every day? They come in every day and study the real ones. Every day they come in and feed only on the real ones. Every day they come in and become experts at the real bills. And they don't need to know about all the ones that are counterfeit because they can spot it a mile away because they've been feeding on the real the whole time. I'm like you. I, I would have thought of the other way. Every day they study the real money and that teaches them to be able to spot the counterfeits so they can be refused. Right? So delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desire of your heart. Listen, guys, you don't even know what you're desiring. The world comes and tries to show you what you're desiring, and it looks shiny like fresh eggs. And so you think, that's got to be it. I feel a buzz. I got a, a goosebump. I feel a certain kind of way. It's got to be that. But the desire of your heart is the glorification of your body, a life that can't die. That's the desire of your heart. The psalmist comes and says, Delight yourself in the Lord. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? Do you know what it means to delight yourself in the Lord? It means, that word delight means soft and pliable. You're the clay. Delight yourself in the Lord means to see that the Lord, that you're God's workmanship, and the Lord is the only one that can create you in the image of the desire you like, the, the life you desire. So you commit, you, Jesus was delighting himself in the Lord when he said, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. Right? This body is your workmanship, Father. You will bring forth this body in the image of glory and honor. You will, though this body be sown in dishonor, you will fashion this body in the image of the glory and honor that you intended from the beginning. He was delighting himself in the Lord. That's what we want to teach our kids, where what they're longing for is found. So they feed on that every day because they will find their desire satisfied. We'll finish with this verse. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Hope deferred. The desire you have in your heart, if it isn't realized, will make your heart sick. But if your desire is realized, and it's satisfied, becomes a tree of life inside of you, it says. Right? Guys, we need to understand this about our kids. They're desiring something. Desire isn't evil. It's when we lust after life through our own flesh, our own strength, that evil comes forth. 
So you got to understand that your kids are desiring something. And if they aren't taught or shown the substance of what they're desiring, and they're not growing up feeding on the life that's in God, and they're not finding that desire satisfied by delighting themselves in the Lord, by being taught that the delight that will give their heart satisfaction is found in the Lord, what will eventually happen is their heart will be made sick. And no human can sit in the presence of a sick heart. You're going to immediately start having thoughts of what you need to do to make your heart better. And I promise you the world is going to come to you and show you something and tell your kids that this will make your life better. Your heart's sick because it doesn't have this. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't sound like this. It's not shaped this way. It's not born this way. It doesn't have these things. Right? But if your child's desire, if we raise our kids to feed on the life that's in the glorified man Jesus, their hunger for life will be satisfied. And their steps will be cleansed by the abundance of God's life. Their hearts won't be made sick and it will become a tree of life to them as they're feeding on the life that's in Jesus because that's satisfying their desire, right? And what will happen is if we teach our kids, Jesus is the substance of what they're longing for. Instead of teaching them this gospel about morality, don't do this, don't do that, share, be nice. But all that nonsense, if we teach them, Jesus is the substance of what you're longing for. If we teach them when they fall off and they do something selfish, we come and tell them, we know why you did that. You're actually desiring this. And we keep coming in and reinforcing that, man. What's going to happen is, is our kids are going to see that Jesus is the evidence that they have what their hearts are longing for. And every time the world comes and says, you don't have it, they're going to look to Jesus and they're going to find their hearts satisfied. They're going to find their desire satisfied. They're going to see Jesus is the evidence that I have the life I'm longing for, even though I don't yet see it. Even though the world doesn't yet acknowledge it, God sees it, God acknowledges it, and I see it in Jesus. Right? If that's what we teach the kids, man, their hearts won't be made sick. The world won't be able to deceive them, whether it's with an identity, a cause, a job, an outcome, a political persuasion. Whatever it is. Right? You can have your opinion about politics. I'm not telling you not to have your opinion, but I promise you, even should you get the perfect political party you want, it can't satisfy the longing you have in your heart for a righteous life because it can't give you the glorification of your flesh. Neither can it give you an indestructible life because every government in this world is built on the shoulders of a corruptible life. It's built on the shoulders of death management. Jesus's shoulders are the only shoulders. The government built upon Jesus's shoulders is the only government that can minister an indestructible life to you. And so when you're getting upset about the politics, how many of you get upset about the politics sometimes? How many legs and arms can I raise in the air? How many of you think, my goodness, well, when I feel upset about that, do you know what I do? I realize the reason why I feel upset is because I'm longing for a government that can minister an indestructible life. And I see the corruption they're ministering, and it upsets me. I have a longing in my heart for an indestructible life. Oh, I see the government upon Jesus' shoulders has an indestructible life. Now I'm finding my desire for that government. I'm finding it satisfied in the Lord Jesus. That's keeping me from walking out of the way. It's keeping me from taking up the sword. That's how we teach our kids. Glory to God. Thank you for your patience and tolerance with my voice. Lord, we thank you that we can co-labor with you, that, that you're the father of our kids' lives and that you're with them. And we just thank you, Lord, for the, the joy and the pleasure of being able to walk with them as they walk with you. And we just thank you, Lord, that you continue to feed us your life that we continue to find our minds renewed, that we continue to see the substance of what we're longing for in the glorified man, Jesus, and that we're able to teach our kids this same truth, that we're able to walk with our kids and uh, show them themselves and teach them what they're longing for and show them where they could find it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that the proverb says that if you train a child up in the way they shall go, they shall not depart from it. I just thank you, Father, that the children in the church, and that the children in the world that are being deceived by the wisdom of the world, Lord, that they are going to come in contact with you as the substance of what they're longing for. 
and that they will be trained up in the way of life and that they will not depart from it. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you guys so much. It's a great blessing to be here with you all. I pray for your kids daily, right? And I don't do that because there's something good about me. I do that because I feel the Lord thinking about your kids. So know that the Lord is thinking about your kids. The reason why I preach these messages is because the Lord is already thinking about your kids. The Lord is already interceding in your kids' lives. The Lord has not left you alone to intercede yourself. The Lord is laboring, and you can see his laboring, and you could help with that. That's it. Glory to God.